Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. Thinking about his time in the war makes it hard for Justin Egan to sleep. So he writes poetry. Justin's poems take us to the poppy fields in Afghanistan. He was stationed there twice as a U.S. Marine. His dreams and his work are mixed with bright red poppies in bloom and the memories of war. He works through these invisible wounds the way other military veterans have done for ages. Justin's a scholar of war poetry. He's working towards a PhD in it at Florida Atlantic University. He's read about samurais writing verses moments before death. He's read the poetry of World War I veterans for solace and for inspiration. His own work transports us. One minute he's picking weeds out of his yard and the next he's back plucking hidden roadside bombs from the desert. Justin first found his way to poetry through music. His interest in the spoken word started by listening to the street poets, listening to Tupac and Trick Daddy as a kid in West Palm Beach. Justin has been recognized twice by the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation with a Robert A. Gannon Award for poetry. This led him to connect with other veterans that he's inspired with his work. To talk to us about how he uses poetry to unravel his war experience is Justin Egan. Justin, thank you so much for coming in. Yes, thank you, thank you. It's a it's a beautiful day here. It is it is a beautiful day. We're actually finally getting it a little bit cool outside. We can actually be outside, <laughs> but it's always bit. freezing in our studio. So that's, that's a little bit cool outside. <laughs> uh, everybody from New York is listening now. Like, cool, you got to be out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just not hundred degrees anymore, so we're, we're okay. Um, you know, this like we were kind of saying earlier. I you know we talked to so many different artists who tap into a variety of their backgrounds to really create an art form. Some of it is therapeutic, but some of it also transports and it helps us see the world in a different way. And this medium that you've taken is this this idea of writing, of tapping into your experiences uh, in, in serving the U.S. military and being in Afghanistan to write poetry, writing war poetry, which is like a <laughs> genre that I had not wrapped my mind around. Um, talk to me about that, about, about the discovery of this moment where you realized that poetry could be something that you could use to tie in the, the experiences that you were having. Yeah. I think poetry hit me when I was, when it was in my youth, really, you know, I, <laughs> I, I read a lot of poetry and I think it was really in middle school was, was it because there's like this, like a disconnect in middle school. Like I was like going through puberty, whatever the case mm-hmm. was, you know, you're, you're going through those stages. And I went to a middle school where, I was not going to the same middle school as everybody else from my elementary school, so I was going toward to to a new place, a new you know, every all the everybody around me was all new. That's always a rough start, man. That middle school switch from the starting that sixth or seventh grade somewhere else, away from all your friends. It's uh, I went yeah because I went to a different, but I went to a few different schools growing up. I went to like an ele- I went to three different elementary schools, one middle school, and two different high schools. So. I changed a lot, you know, like I changed a, a lot of you know environment around through those years and. My mom always was like reinforcing whatever I was doing at the time, right? Because I'm very, I, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place with my mind, when, and especially when I was in my youth, because I didn't really know what I wanted, really where I was going. It was kind of like always like, you know, kind of troubled, I guess. Like just things in general, you know, that make it a little bit darker than like the average, I guess. And my mom, was, you know, she bought me the Tupac poetry book when it came out. I believe it was published in like 01 or 2000 or something like that. Hmm. But uh, a rose that grew from concrete, the, uh, his poetry collection, and it had four different books inside of it, uh, I believe, or three or four or something like that. And 
not not like so separate books, but like individual like chapters, I right. guess, right? Like themes within the book. So she recognized already that poetry was something that I mean, you you try to feed your kids things that that right. they're that they're interested in, right? Yeah. Like, how well, how old are you in sixth and seventh grade? Eleven and twelve. You know sure, what I mean? And she yeah. like bought me a Tupac poetry book, and she was like, you know, because she knew I liked Tupac, she knew I liked hip hop, she knew I liked that that realm, and she knew I gravitated towards it, you know, and she. You know, she did give me, she she bought me that book and I read it a lot during that time. So she came at it with, and you came at it originally with the idea of music, of music yeah. being the thing that caught your attention. But right. inside that, you're like, oh, you started to make these connections between music and poetry. Yeah, because, you know, Tupac writes a lot about, you know, him and a single mother and I grew up with a single mother, you know, so it, it, there was like this connection where, you know, he grew up going to different schools. I grew up going to different schools. You know, he grew up in you know, not the best financial circumstances. And same thing with me, you know, mm -hmm. like it was not the best. Um, I mean, my mom, you know, worked and I was always the last kid, not the last kid, but always super late, picked up an aftercare and always sure. the first one dropped off, you know, so I was there for the longest amount of time. My mom was working, you know, she worked a 40 hour week job, 50 hour weeks or whatever, 50 hours in a week. But yeah, it was like, it was definitely music, you know, music pushed me uh, initially when I'm in my youth, especially down here in Florida, because in Florida you have this, there's like this intrinsic woven music feeling down here in Florida. Like it's within the population. It's within like the foundation of what Florida is, I think, you know, especially South Florida. Oh, tell me about tell me about how you how you discovered some of those things. Like what were the things that what was, what was the music that really spoke to you as a kid at that age? So you were saying Tupac, but yeah, I mean, what, locally. I mean, locally, really, you know, I mean, uh, Trick Daddy, really. I just, I listened to a lot. Like, you know, I was in my, you know, growing up, you know, you hear it on the radio or whatever. And it was when you hear local stations on the radio, you you, you hear certain things that, that come through, especially like Palm Beach County had hip hop artists and stuff. But, you know, like Gloria Estefan, you know, like That's my funny. mom was listening to this stuff, you know, and there was just certain... I think I think it's it's more or less like an atmosphere. It's a it's like a it's like a vibe. It's vi it's like a vibration that Miami and, and South Florida like gives off. Where it's like there it's I don't know if it's one specific artist. It was just like there was like this. My mom listened to like '90s, like dance music kind of mm -hmm. like hip hop dance music. And when I when I listened to that, it was like Two Live Crew, and you know that's my that's from Miami, you know, and that's they're they're very it's very upbeat and it's very positive, but it's also like, there's a lot of like, you know, negative <laughs> things that are, that they're talking about, but yeah, right. I mean, you know, who, who can say they're negative or not? I don't know, but you know, w w whatever the case is, but it's, you know, you, when you grow up listening to that type of like positive, like upbeat. Yeah. There's uh, the, the history of South Florida is very an upbeat flow. Like yes. the, there's there. Yeah. Even, even stuff that's, that like a, like you said like an artist like Trick Daddy right uh, it's upbeat it, you it, know it, the, it's music you can still dance to it yes which is the thing <laughs> exactly and you know and as and as a youth in middle school you know there was this kid in my middle school he he went around the backpack and he would sell mixtapes like off his computer and stuff you know he would burn oh, them funny. and give them and sell them out and sell them so so you started to make this connection between music and poetry at at some point there at, yeah like it was it was like at some point, you know, like my, when my mom gave me this book, I started reading it and I, and I drew like, a, okay, well, Tupac is a poet. And I, that's how I initially saw him. Or that's what I, 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 and that's after I got the book and I started reading it, I was like, well, no, he's more of a poet than he is more of a rapper. He was more of a rapper out of necessity. Like it's a necessity for him to make music and to make money because this is where he gets exploited at doing. But in, in the reality, He's like an emotional, vulnerable being writing poetry, able to like express himself in that way. And and um, you gave us a couple songs because I mean, you really 
your, it sounds like your musical uh, interests were were varied, but um, there's this one poem um, by Tupac, "If I Fail," hmm. um, uh, that that you you kind of uh, oh no, it's Dead Press. Um, it's one that you suggested to us. Anyway, we, let's hear a piece of it to kind of describe just the kind of music to put us in the place of where your mind was, the kind of stuff you were listening that that helped you think both musically and poetically. Word is born, born is life. I give my life before my words shall fail. A soldier's over, freedom of death. And I won't stop if I fail. Word is born, born is life. I give my life before my words shall fail. A soldier's over, freedom of death. And I won't stop if I fail. If I fail, get back up. Can't be soft, got to be tough. If I fall, come on, get back up. Can't be soft, got to be tough. If I fail, get back up. Can't be soft, got to be tough. If I fall, get back up. Can't be soft, got to be tough. Failure, it's not an option. That's If I Fail. Uh, it's by Tupac and Dead Prez. Um, I, and I'm hearing just some things in there that just seem to relate to the kind of work you're doing now. Mm. Um, just when he talks about just soldier's oath, you know, like that, you, you, there is this idea, right, about like there is this parallel about territory and property and, and you know, there's, you know, kind of war um, lyrics, so to speak, it's like comparisons being made that, uh, yeah. that I can't help but, but notice that like this also parallels the, like your actual, actual war and actual life that you that you lived yeah it's very it's 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 like militaristic some of it you mm-hmm. know a lot of a lot of tupac stuff is very militaristic you know and and dead presidents are they're they're really good you know i like they're, they're very good artists but yeah tupac is his his music is it's very militaristic because i think you know he felt attacked a lot of the times he grew up in such a way that it was it was hard you know so he, there was a there was a, a a real struggle there and then as he got famous you know he came at it with a very openness about you know where he comes from and 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 the struggle with you and which he had which got him to a point where every you know the media and people started the the, the president you know the, the the politics started getting involved and he started being you know and then that made him very like you know almost angry and then with all of that his poetry you know you can see all that in his poetry when he writes and the rose that grew from concrete because a lot of it was written in like the early 90s late 80s and it's not very angry as it was as like the like 95 96 Tupac albums were you know and and uh, did this work speak to you or talk to me about how the work spoke to you after really after serving the military and not just you know actually being out front you know being right. being uh like seeing action in war and seeing these these things not just be figurative but literal right um in a different sense Talk yeah, when I, when I got home, I think I, I you know I got home in 2012, or I got home from my second deployment, and I think on Halloween or November 1st or something like that, 2011. But when I came back to Florida, the next year in the fall of 2012, you know, I, there was a lot of struggle because one, I I got a divorce and I was coming out of the military for two deployments, and I was very like coming off of just a lot of negative things, a lot of negative um, aspects in my life, a lot of negative emotions and thoughts on, my th- on myself, you know, just from going to war and kind of 
one, you are accepting your death and you accept how you're going to end and you're okay with that and you're okay with that happening. But then when that doesn't happen, you come home, you kind of have to reconcile with yourself a little bit and you kind of have to recognize that like, all right, well, I wasn't taken here. So now I have to go and I have to figure out a life that I really didn't expect that I was going to have. Right. So there's a lot of profoundness that gets fat like get that gets acknowledged through those years of trying to figure out life and trying to figure out like what my path was and what I was supposed to do and again at some point in that period of like between 2012 to 2015 16 I found Tupac's poetry book like in my storage unit or I found it like in my on my li- on my shelf with my books or something and I pulled it out and I started reading it again and I just you know it connected more, it connected even more deeper. And it connect, you know, at, at, at some layer, it connected with me when I was a kid. It's just on some like superficial, like, like layer of like, all right, you know, I kind of feel like I, I, you know, there's like some semblance of, of, of relationship of how I, how I was raised in, 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 in his poetry. But then as I got be, as I was an adult, as I looked through it as through the lens of coming out of war and coming as through as an adult now and, and being through, you know, certain aspects that, that war provides you, mm-hmm. you know, it provides you the opportunity to, to either like, you know, you're going to face death or you're going to surpa- you know, you're going to go past it. Either you're going to die or you're not, you know, and there's, there's moments in Afghanistan where that happened, you know, I, I would say weekly or maybe like bi-monthly, you know, like it happened regularly. And it was one of those things where it would present itself to you and you either were, you know, you, you didn't die and, or you did and you, and you, and you, and you pressed on. So then, can, can, and then this—it's interesting to me because this, this this inspired you then to write again. Yeah, it, isn't there some work that you have published that that was inspired by that song that uh, that you would want to share with us? Yeah. So so Tupac he he wrote a poem called "If I Fail," and you know I wrote a poem called "If I Fail," and again it it definitely has a lot to do with you know dying basically you know um, about uh, dying overseas whatever the case is but you know it's. And will, will you tell us the, the name of the book that this is published in? Yeah, so this book, this is my second book I published in uh, 2018. Uh, it's called Outside the Wire, a U.S. Marine's Collection of Combat Poems and Short Stories, Volume 2. It's my second book that I wrote. So it was it was right on that cusp of like, all right, I'm just going to keep writing, you know. And this is If I Fail. If I Fail. If I Fail, tell my family I did my best. I'm coming home on my final trip being laid to rest. If I fail, I didn't pass my would-be final test. But if I failed, I finished my ultimate quest. I long for this life or I wouldn't have come. Don't be sad, mom and dad. My pain is finally numb. That was Justin Egan reading from his reading his poem, If I Fail. Justin, we talked a little bit about your growing up in West Palm and like how those experiences kind of opened you up to this idea of searching, right? Searching for for this connection um, and finding it then in poetry and then rediscovering it, right? Uh, when you come back from war, it speaks to you in a different way. I'm curious how that connection happened. In other words, when you came back and you read that poem, how did you find that poetry was a way that you could start to connect with and with with some of those experiences so i think a lot of it really has to do with like looking into myself and trying to realize that i i'm either going to be stagnant with my life and my attitude and my emotions and my mental health 
or I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to be mobile. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to continue progressing and I'm going to move on, you know, and there's, there is this idea where I don't, I didn't want to be 50 years old and be, you know, doing this one thing and being stuck and because of whatever happened overseas, because I didn't want to like either accept it or I, I, accept the fact that like I lived or accept the fact that this happened or that happened, or I can't believe I saw that, whatever the case was, you know, like whatever excuse or rationality I was putting behind it, like it didn't make sense to, to be stagnant, to stay still. So, but for a while there, it sounds like you were, so you were stuck in place. Yeah, for sure. For, for a couple of years, you know, for, for, for many years, as soon as I got back, I mean, there was very, there was a lot of years where I got, uh, I, I, I did one thing and I, and I just, and I just did that. And like what, give me, what do you mean by just doing like just, one thing? I went to go lands, you know, I just get a job like landscaping. Right. And you know, I, I was, I was competent enough where I could run a crew. I worked on Palm Beach Island. I, I ran a crew of, of, you know, four or five guys and we went to multiple houses during the week. We had a number of clients, you know, but I didn't interact with a lot of people. I put on headphones, I would grab a tool and I would just go landscape and I, I, I you know, I trimmed and it was very gratifying because you get to look at the bushes and they're, you know, they they look all crisp and nice. But like at the end of the day, for, for my, for myself, I wasn't progressing in a way that I felt like I should be progressing. Right. I felt like I was sitting comfortable in a, in a position where nobody was really having a conversation about. I guess, I, I don't know, I guess I, I wanted to start that conversation of kind of like my own mental health, right? And see yeah. where that went. So that's interesting. So you, you, it sounded like you were, you needed that though. You needed to come to a place where it was just quiet for a minute yeah. and you didn't have anything to think about other than like. Right. Cause I tried going to school for a little bit for a couple of years there, like PBSC, like going to Palm Beach State College for mm-hmm. a little bit. And I've, I kind of like blew through my GI bill because I was just like, you know, right when you come out of war and you go to school, it's not a conducive environment for you to like learn and accept knowledge and then take that knowledge and then translate it back into like effective schoolwork right? That's going to get good grades and it's going to make your transcripts better. Whatever the case was, I was doing poorly. So I was like, I, I need to remove myself. What What did you find? What was it like for you? What did you, how did you find yourself when you were going to class, you know, I, and things like that? I found myself like, you, I, I don't know. It was, it was one, I think it was a couple, it was a few things, right? It was my attitude towards the whole approach. It was my approach towards it. It was my approach of like, I'm owed certain things, you know, or whatever. Like, I don't know. And I, and I felt like, I was going to school with people who didn't care to be there, right? Like going to like a state college, they didn't really care. Like they're just out of high school. Like, oh, this is, this is my, this is what I got to do to, you know, to get my AA and then go to FAU. So I just got to do this and get it over. So there was no like enthusiasm around the people around me. So it was a, it was kind of a, a negative environment for me. So I found myself like being like, I don't like this environment. And then one, another one being like, am I adding to that negative environment by being a negative individual in that environment. You did a lot of a lot of soul searching then at that point. I think getting like, I felt it. like I had like there was yeah. no, if there was really no choice for me, right? There was I feel like there was something that had to be done for myself because I was like a toxic person. You know, I was oh, like wow. toxic to myself and I was toxic to like by people around me and I was just like a negative person. You know, just like it didn't help that I anticipated to die so so much. Like I was told so many times, like, this is what you're going to do. You look to your left and right. Like some of you aren't coming home, you know, like you're an engineer. You're going to go sweep for IEDs. You're going to, you're going to lose your legs, you know, whatever the case is. And you don't, you think about these things and you know, you're like, well, all right. Yeah. You know, you're 20, 20, 21, 22. You're like, okay, well that's going to be, that's going to be the case because all of my friends 
a lot of that's happened to them, you know, or a, a lot of people that are in my environment, in my battalion, that's happened to them. So you think to yourself, well, I'm not anybody special. That's going to happen to me too. So I'm just going to accept that and I'm going to let, that's my reality from here on out. But when that, that doesn't happen to you and that's not your reality, at the end of the day, when you come home and you're like, oh, well, I'm home and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Florida and my, 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 my contract with the military is up and now I'm living at home. What do I do? Right. You found yourself totally displaced. Like this, Completely. this, this had, one mentality that you had framed to be able to survive in one environment was totally incompatible for being right in the new, in the next life that you were in. Yes. Like there's, there's one line that I have in one of my poems and it's like, um, you know, to succeed in this, um, like to, to, to succeed in this environment, you have to like learn to like let go of like your soul. You know, you have to like learn to let go of your soul. Oof. You know, and you have to like learn to let go of everything that's like yourself and your physical embodiment, like your mind and whatever that you think of your projection as to your family, you know, whatever lens you see yourself through, you have to learn that that's going to at some point going to be gone and going to die. Right. And it's going to happen here in this environment over the next few months at some point, at one point, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to do it. But if it happens, it's going to happen. You know, you, you weren't prepared. You were prepared to die, but you were not prepared to live, to survive. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And I think a lot of military members, a lot of Marines, a lot of Army, a lot of Navy, whatever the case is, when you go into combat, if you don't think like that, it's it's very hard to like thrive in that environment. Yeah. And if you want to survive, which, I mean, and it's hard sitting here saying like, oh, well, I, I anticipated to die, but then you're like, well, if you want to survive, you know, it's a, it feels like it's, it's, it's opposite, but it's almost dichotomous. Like, it's the same, you know? Like, you have to... There has to be will inside of you to like do well so you can survive. But if that doesn't happen, you have to be okay with dying. See, I'm, I'm trying to imagine taking that mentality and then what it, what it takes to push you through from that space. So you come back and you're totally displaced yeah. and you're not fitting well into that. It takes you a couple, what, what years. Were, yeah. What were some of the things and that helped push you out of that point and did poetry play, play a role in that yeah i think so a big one for me was i went to the va vet center and i was pushed there by the people around me the there's people, a, there's a big and good va center up in west palm, in, yeah. In west palm yeah. yeah there's there's a big one so when i so there's a huge one it's, it's like that's a big one the one here in miami is a very big one but they have these little things called vet centers they're more like individualized mm -hmm. more comprehensive right mm -hmm. and they're more towards like geared towards like speaking to a psychiatrist and I was pushed there to like a bunch of all a bunch of people around me were like, you need to go talk to somebody. You just need to go sit down and just like say whatever this was going on up here. And I was like, all right. So, excuse me. So I did that and I was went to this vet center. I met this this therapist. Her um, she was very really really nice lady. And I started talking to her once a week on Wednesdays. And I started going once a week. And then after. A few months it got to the point where i was like i felt like i needed to go and i felt like i wanted to go and i felt like more open to talking and it got to the point after about a six month period where we started doing therapy where i would close my eyes i would sit in a chair and i would take about a few minutes of like breathing exercises with my eyes shut and i'd bring myself back to like these points in afghanistan Right. These points that were the like the quote unquote most traumatic, most, you know, insane things that happened to me that have disturbed my mind and have, you know, effectively, you know, cracked my brain or whatever the case is. 
And I went through these moments individually, like through, and I, and I, and I went through my, every sensory aspect. I went through how it tasted, how it smelled, how everything felt, how, what it, what did it sound like? You know, what did it look like? And I just tried to describe it in the most comprehensive, descriptive way possible. And stuff that was accessible to you accessible like just like you know you could touch and you could feel like in that moment of things happening and then going through those moments and every time i you know and then we did that for like the next year wow and just even writing some of those things down i imagine that that became the oh we didn't so i spoke it out you spoke it yeah i spoke it so i'd sit there in a chair with my eyes closed and i would speak it out and i would and i would say and she'd be like well what is it what does it taste like there you know what is it what does it smell like in the air what does it taste like in the air what is what does it taste like you know what you know and it'd be like you know, you, you, I would go through that with, with her. And I did that for, and it felt good to release it. And it was one of those things where I was like, all right, this is a very therapeutic way to get rid of, or not maybe not, not get rid of, but to acknowledge that mm-hmm. they exist mm-hmm. and then to be okay with them. Because you're never going to get rid of whatever demons that people have cooped up in your brain, right? It's just tra- trauma harbors itself within you and it doesn't let go. It's, it's stuck with you forever. It's, it's one of those things. But you have to be able to willing, they have to be willing to, accept it understand it learn it so then you can live with it on a more positive progressive level than just acknowledging it but being okay with it letting your demons know like metaphorically like saying hey i'm cool with y'all i know you're cool with me what we had in the past we're good i'm gonna i'm gonna keep you here but i'm gonna go live my life now yeah you know you're not gonna keep me down here anymore i'm gonna go do this now and with that came poetry right with that came I want to say what I said in therapy, but I want to do it in an artistic like channel. Right. And I'm, and I can draw for sure, but I don't think that that's my way to do it. I can, there's certain things I feel like I can do, but you know, like I'm, what really spoke to me and what, what was that channel for me and how I got to the point of, of where I am now is like, I've realized like poetry was something that I could do because I, I wrote a poem called not today. And it was, I wrote it like in 2015 when I first started going to like therapy, I, I initially wrote it and I gave it to my friends hmm. and I said, Hey, what do you guys think about this? And they were like blown away. They were like, listen, you got to continue this. Like whatever this is that you're doing, like with that, do that and do more of that. And I was like, so, all right. So getting that, that validation and putting it down those those moments must were really transitional for you. Yeah, I mean it was it was very yeah it was very 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 transformational. I mean I, I I literally my mind sparked something happened where like my my brain clicked and like the a fire was almost ignited and it goes this is something I could do and this is something maybe and then I started looking into the community of who's writing poetry that's a veteran about combat experiences. Very specifically, you're like, there have to be other people who, there has have, to be. who had my experience and expressed themselves through right. this form. And it's, mind you, it's like, it's like early 2017, late 2016, where I'm like deciding I'm gonna write a book, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, okay, who else is doing this? And I started looking around and nobody, and it seemed like, and I don't wanna, and, and this is what I've been saying for a very long time, um, but, what it seemed like from what I saw from my, from my initial research was that Brian Turner, he was an army veteran, award-winning poet, you know, he's a very prolific poet, he's very famous for, in like the poetry community, whatever. Brian Turner was 
writing poetry about his combat experiences in Iraq in like 03-02-03-04 time frame, right? And he won, he won awards like 06, 07, 08 for all that stuff. But this is 2017, right? And I'm a younger generation guy, you know? I'm, I didn't go to Iraq in 02-03-04, you know? I was in high school. So for me, it was... All right, so who's writing poetry right now? Like mm. from and and it and 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 from my initial research, again, I don't want to be like, and then somebody comes up out of you know nowhere and be like, I was writing this, but like from my initial research, nobody was writing war poetry, like specifically writing war poetry from like post nine eleven, like nine eleven onward, nobody was putting out out like into the world war poetry. You know, they may they may have been writing poetry books, and they may, they may have been veterans. But it, but it wasn't a specific, this is poetry about my wartime experiences. Right. It was more like, this is poetry, and I'm a veteran. Right. Right? And it, that's, that's where I was like, okay, this is something I can tap into. And there's something, I, this is a market I feel like I can get into and I can do. And a very specific thing that spoke to you. Right. Justin, is there, is there another poem that you would read for us that kind of, kind of comes from that period, that comes from that period where you're, you know, you're writing and then, you know, give us an example, something that really kind of talks to us a little bit about your work. Um, that talks about about um, you kind of tapping into those experiences when you speak them out loud, making them real, and then kind of making them real through the written word. Will you share uh, one of those with us? I mean, I just I I just opened up this book. You know, I just opened up my my third book here, and I will read this one. This one is 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 really it's one of the ones. I mean, it's marked, so it's it's a good one. So I'll, I'll read it. Uh, this is my from my third book, The Art of Warrior Poetry. But this is like what you're saying, though. You know, this is a very this is one of those ones where it's 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 I like to read this one a lot out and just in general because people it's one of those ones where I feel like it really gets that the idea of what we were doing in Afghanistan or what we felt like on the ground during those times right um, and what we were just kind of talking about uh, this one is called uh, happiness deprived the call on the sat phone ends with cheers knowing at the end of the day I live amongst my fears IEDs hidden under my feet, small arms fire snapping as I sweep. Bloodstained frog gear torn at the seams, the blood is not mine, but a blend of multiple screams. Marines placed in craters after stepping on IEDs, running through smoke, I am a first responder. Day after day do I become weaker or stronger, witnessing horrors, Back inside the wire, I ponder. Are we here for honor or here for slaughter? No matter the outcome, I'll be pushing flowers. There is no way I'm making out of there is no way I'm making it out of here still breathing. I can't operate freely knowing I'll survive. Accepting my end is the only device keeping me alive. Every day, happiness deprived. That was Justin Egan reading from his poem titled Happiness Deprived. Justin, you, you start to find this poetry and it starts to speak to you and, and kind of express what you have what you've felt, what you've experienced in a in a particular way. How do people start to receive it? In other words, I imagine that this must definitely speak to combat veterans of, of your generation. Uh I it's I feel like it's uh I don't know. I feel like I, that's how, that's one thing that I feel like I don't know. I, I don't know how it's been. I know that when people read it, that when they, when they get back to me, when they say, you know, I read this and it, it spoke to me in this way, it's usually, it's always very positive. You know, it's always, 
it's always usually a very, very positive thing. It's, I don't think I've ever had anybody with a negative, you know, comment to me about it. Mm-hmm. Like in, you know, from like going on a tour and seeing somebody or whatever the case is. The only time it's ever, I've been heckled once about like one time a lady asked me if I, I had like a nice poem. You know, and I'm like, I'm it's, like a, it's poetry about my war experience. Yeah, like I was like, I was like, what do you want? Like you come to a poetry reading about with a bunch of war poets. What do you think you're gonna get? You know, right. but I mean, is I do that, have nice poems. Like, is that something that. that you struggled against? That that uh, a little bit about the expectations of what poetry means versus yeah, the I person think, who's writing it. You know? I think people like they think poetry is one thing. You know, mm-hmm. and I I have my own view of poetry, right? And I write poetry, so I have a I have a maybe a skewed look on what what I think it, it looks like and sounds like because I I really like haikus and I really don't really conform to like the standard of the forms of standard poetry limericks and sonics and all this stuff like that I don't I, I just kind of write I free form it and I let it go and I put it like I'll put four stanzas four stanzas four you know four lines and then mm-hmm. have four stanzas with four lines you know whatever the case is but I do like to just kind of let it you know whatever I feel let it let it, let it go but with like the community I've what I've seen since 2017 to 2023 is that there's an abundance of veteran poets mm. now, right? You can go on Instagram and you can hashtag like search like veteran poetry or war poetry or whatever the case is. And there's going to be people that pop up, right? Because they've become prolific in their own sense and what they're writing about and maybe some of them didn't go to war but they were in the military and they write about that right and then they write and they publish a book about that or maybe they were in iraq early on and they just found poetry now so now they're writing about their experiences in iraq early on and they're being and it's being a therapeutic channel for them which is i think the the best outcome right like mm. so far like because right. i think that there's so much more room for it to grow and so much more area for the war poetry to to breathe life into right there there just there's a realm of it and out into the world that people just don't understand like there's so many of us you know men and women collectively that are writing war poetry about their time in afghanistan or iraq or whatever and and post 9-11 their time in the military and and you study what's interesting to me is that you studied this the the history of war poetry so you were reading you were discovering things that, like sam, like we mentioned earlier, samurais were writing poetry. Yeah. That that uh, World War Two, World War One veterans were writing poetry. Tell me about some of those things that inspired you as you went back and started to look at it, like academically, more than an exercise. You know, right? Yeah. So when I I started looking at poetry and looking at, all right, well, I want to write poetry. So I started looking at, well, who am I and how could I write poetry? And then what I came to was, well, I'm a United States Marine. That's an equivalent to a, that. That's a modern day warrior, effectively. Mm-hmm. So, if I go back in time, what are the warriors writing about, right? And then you go back a little bit, and there's some Vietnam poems. You know, there's a poet. You know, there's always every conflict has poems, right? And and, and poetry, but which ones are more prolific than than the other, right? Vietnam was very prolific on screen. Mm-hmm. It was a very much a, a visual war. You know, it was it was televised in people's homes, so sure. it was very visualized. So that's 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 one way of people you know people overshadow the poetry with that a lot of the time. Mm. So it doesn't it doesn't really get get seen. And but but you dug into some of that. You yeah. Found. So then so then you look at World War One, right? Mm. World War One has poets that are very very prolific that basically set the standard for what war poetry is, right? They create effectively 
made the genre what it is today, right? With their poetry, you know, Siegfried Sassoon, um, o, um, Wilfred Owen, uh, John McRae, all these guys wrote these poems, and they're they're these poems that are that are just so 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 prolific. And when you you can feel how they're feeling, and then to learn that they died a couple weeks later after writing it, you go, man, you know this. This was this this is something, you know. These guys were they were in combat. They were and in combat writing this stuff right. because it's World War One. There's no phones. There's no ele- there's no like real electricity. I mean, there's maybe some wires here and there, but you have a pen and paper, and then to emote this and to f- how do you feel about this? And then you have to think, a lot of these the young men that went and fought World War One were in university, were in scholar, you know, were in academics. So they went and they left because it was such a powerful movement. They had to leave. They had to leave being a student, being a professor, being, you know, a, a host, you know, being whatever they were, they were doing, they mm-hmm. had to go and do it. So whatever they were like, all right, well, and again, in their mind, how can I translate this in a way that's going to stay? Right. Right. And it's not just like, oh man, this war is terrible. <laughs> right. No, no, you're, they're going to write about how that feels and how it smells and what it looks like. And they're going to give that to you in a poem. And then when you read it a hundred years later, you're going to go, you're gonna get goosebumps. You're gonna go, God, man, I really feel that, you know. And that's were there were there were there things like that that you read? Were there lines or phrases or things that still stand out in your mind that you read? Yeah, I mean, that? there's poems. You know, I have a rendezvous with death. You know, and he's talking about I have a rendezvous with death out in some barren field. You know, whatever the case is, out you know, out in no man's land, basically. You know that um, in Flanders Field. You know, he's talking about basically like you know being in. In the fields of Flanders was basically one of the worst uh, areas in World War One. A lot of death uh, were seen in those poppy fields, and you know, with that, I feel like I connect with that because in, when we were in Afghanistan, we're walking through poppy fields. A lot of us were, you know, getting hurt in poppy fields, getting you know, in these poppy fields, moving in kind of the same environment as these guys, you know, in trenches and this and that, you know, going through these fields um, and and fighting. So you found a lot of insp- you found inspiration. Yeah, World War One is camaraderie of that. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the World War One is a really really is a really important uh, like area in history for I think literature and war poetry specifically because it it, it there's a lot of it produced right there's a lot of it produced and a lot of it was published because at the time I mean that's people that's wanted the, to that's that's the mode and the method that was the mode right and that's um uh, the poem was I have a rendezvous with death and it was by Alan Seeger yeah and Alan it was, Seeger it was published uh, from a, a Treasury of War Poetry in 1917 yeah so you you kind of feel like you begin to write, and then you're you're absorbing this as both a veteran and as a student of poetry. Talk to me about what it's been like for other veterans to come across your work, or families of veterans. So I think a lot of it is one. Veterans are very, you know, men and women are very like masculine, like in the military, right? They're very like, it's, you know, you don't, you know, we don't want to show our emotions. We don't want to do this. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to talk about that. We just want to go and get the job done and do it to the best of our ability and and move on with the, you know, Mm. we don't talk about the later at a different time. So it's hard to connect with veterans on that, on that respect, because it is, it does require an an amount of vulnerability Mm. and an amount of emotion that you have to be willing to forego to like it and like read it and accept it for what it is and go okay this guy's and and not like think it's like a cringy cheesy thing you know because Mm -hmm. some people do they're like yeah that's not for me i I can't i can't read that's not a poet you know what i mean like shakespeare is a poet i can't read that you know whatever the case is so that on that level it 
it's been a little bit it's been tough i think so you, know? you did get some of that like uh it wasn't if people weren't quite ready to receive that no i don't think so i don't i don't i don't i don't i really don't think so and in, and as i've gotten as i progressed more you know I, I keep writing books i keep trying to push it i keep trying to put poetry out there and as i do that you know it, it grows and more veterans come out and write poetry and publish books and you know there's there's um like veteran publishing houses and this and that that are like popping up and this, you know, so it is growing into something, but it's still hard to get a normal veteran, hmm. a normal person who served in the Gulf War or served in early Iraq or served in Vietnam or Panama or in Korea, whatever the case is, for them to pick up a poetry book and to read another veteran's work about war, right? Because one, you have to be willing to forego like the idea that your war experiences are not their war experiences, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you have to transcend that somehow. Right? Yeah, and you have to, and, and so for for them to accept like my war experiences as maybe interpreting it into like their own and finding their own war experiences in my words is very hard for people to go. Nah, I'm good on that. I don't want to. You know, so they don't want to re-acknowledge what they went through, right? right? So a lot of people don't want to re-acknowledge a trauma, right? which is hard. Yeah. So it's hard for me to tap into that market because veterans, again, don't want to. They're like, nah, I'm good. Is that going to make me feel something? I'm good. I don't want to feel anything. Right. I'm like a, I'm like a rock. I don't want to feel anything, you know? So, so what keeps you going? What's the thing that, that, ins that inspires you to, to create this art form? Uh, presumably, like, who are, who are the people that do, that do respond to it? I, I, I think, you know, there are a subsection of veterans who do. You know, there are a subsection of veterans who do. There's a lot of uh, civilians who, li who, who like it. You know, there's a lot of family members, a lot of people who their son served in Iraq or Afghanistan or their dad or their mom or their brother or their uncle or whatever the case is, somebody in the family and they're, they're somehow connected to that war, to, to the to post 9-11, you know? What what about you personally? I mean, I know that you said you were raised by a single mom and, and coming back and trying to explain the people closest to you when they see you, like you were saying, your personality was toxic for this environment. How has your poetry helped explain your your experience to to folks closest to you i think i mean I, I think ultimately with my especially with my mom right but with my mother i think when my mom reads my poetry she's always the first person that buys my book you know she's <laughs> of course whenever i launch a book she's like the first person she, you know if i have like a book that comes with a shirt she'll buy it you know she's she's always there she's to, wearing the swag she's buying she's, yeah, she bought the shirt she's, yeah sure. she's always there so she'll come to like all of my you know, if it's a local thing, you know, she'll come to my event, you know, she'll record me in the back, you know, whatever the case is. She's my biggest, you know, supporter. So uh, on on that level, you know, I've written poems about my mom. I've written poems, um, you know, in that light. But I think that for for her, I think that when I came back initially, you know, it was really tough for her to to be like, you know, who the, who is this person? You know, this is, oh. I don't know who the, you know, this is my son in form, but I don't know who this person is like in, a, in attitude and character, right? So... With that, you know, it became I would not with the poetry and she read it, I think she got attached to it in a form like she likes getting it because it, it it allows her to kind of see into my soul. I mean, these books are pieces of my soul effectively, essentially. I mean they, they really are. Like they're they're pieces of my brain that I've taken, interpreted into, you know, memories, emotions and things that I've dealt with and I put them on a paper for other people to share. So it's it's not just a burden on my in my mind like it was eight years ago. Now that burden is 
compartmentalized into 10 different books. You it know, can so live outside you. It, in some it can live outside me with everybody else. Everybody else can feel this now. Everybody else can deal with this nonsense that I've been dealing with, you know? So, and they can read it and they can be with it. And if, they, if they're going through something, they can pick up my book and read a haiku for the day, you know? And that's what a lot of times what a lot of veterans do too. But I think that and feeling it and having people understand you is the biggest part of it, you know, because it's a lot of times people don't understand veterans and they think that we're one way or the other. And I think the poetry especially allows people into that softer side of like, listen, it's not all rah, 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 you know, go, go do this and that, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of, um, uh, mental, like, like, uh, like mental work that goes into this, right. Where there's a lot of like mental chiseling at the marble, you know? Yeah. yeah that we, uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I spoke with, um, the late Howard Wasden, uh, who wrote uh, an incredible book about, uh, his experience over, uh, in the Battle of Mogadishu, uh, mm. SEAL Team Six, I think, was the name of his of his book. Uh, he he died he died tragically in a plane crash a couple months ago. Um, but he talked about some of those things about coming home and and that the the inability to take those experiences and then transfer into how long it took and the kind of therapy and the kind of right. talking it took to get there. You you put so much of yourself into your work. Will you read another little bit of it for us today? Yeah. Um, you you mentioned you had something some so, of your new work, and we'd love to kind of go out with some of that. Some of that. Yeah. So let me. I, I apologize for not having it pulled up here. No, I and and I think that you know, like hearing these experiences, hearing these poems, like hearing these little bits and pieces, help us understand. You know, uh, you, but also a generation of of soldiers um, and experiences. You know, and, and like you said, that are very different from one war, even from even a ten year decade serving even the same conflict. So, um, we would love to hear that. Thank you, Justin. Yeah. So I will. I will. Uh, I guess I'll read. It's a poem that I've never read in like out loud. I don't think it might be a bit long, but I think it'll be okay. Okay, well, it's, we, we it's we, called we, March 28, 1989, and that's the day that I was born. Great, we get we'll see we can get most of it. I Go think we'll it. I think we'll be able to get it. So, all right, March 28, 1989. Trauma in my childhood. I was stunned. My father left us to raise another man's son. From a toddler, I felt disregarded as anger burns my blood. Trio of addicts robbing my house, breaking our things. Arriving home from school early, I was numb. Out the back door, through the porch, and over the fence they jumped. Fire extinguisher filled our air vents, and the tub began to flood. Single mother raised me, and she worked as hard as she could. Trauma in my teens, friends and family dying in sync. Grandma passed on Halloween. Never again will that day hold the same meaning. Nimish died three days before Christmas. There was no singing, only crying and screaming. Life never let up, never giving me time to think or catch my breath. Witnessing horrific stabbings in the school locker room from that day. Loving books, movies, and music took me away. I found poetry on my journey at a young age. Finding it a way to deal with internalized rage. Justin, <laughs> it, is, it is wonderful to be able to hear that. I hope folks can, can finish the rest of it. What, 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 what is that from? Uh, that's just from my, uh, my latest book called Liberty Subverted. Liberty Subverted. And where can folks find out more about your work, Justin? Uh, they just go on Amazon or they can just Google Justin Egan. I think Googling Justin Egan might be the best because then it just comes a bunch of options. So, Justin, thank you so much for yeah. coming in and sharing so much of yourself and of your story with us today. Yeah, no problem. Our guest today is U.S. Marine Corps combat veteran Justin Egan. He's an award-winning poet and a graduate student at Florida Atlantic University. 
And that's Sundown for Tuesday, September 5th. Leslie Obay Atkinson is our lead producer, Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's VP of Radio, and Richard Ives is our engineer. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. There's no Sundial tomorrow. We're preempted by the Miami-Dade County School Board meeting. We're back on Thursday talking with the artist Xavier Cortada. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. WLRN Public Media.